do, um, is that they have this period of dormancy and then suddenly they just burst with life and they'll shoot branches out, long branches, as long as me. They're rapid growing and huge and they look gangly and ugly and I don't like it. And if I leave them alone, then on some of the branches, you'll get some rosebuds coming. And when it produces rose, it tends to go in clusters. But invariably, I'm very impatient. And so I come along and go, snip, snip. I don't use my finger and thumb, it's a rose bush, um, to snip it off. I use secateurs. That's the second type. It's called topping. It's where you get a plant, and it's true in the grapevine as well as my rose bushes, where you get this rapid growth of a plant, a branch, but it's not productive. It's taking the life of the vine, of the plant itself, and it's putting it into growing this plant, this branch or vine or whatever, <clears throat> this branch, which is not going to produce anything. No flowers, no grapes, no fruit. So it needs to be removed in order that the life of the vine, of the plant, can go into producing roses or producing grapes. Does that make sense? So the second way of pruning is the gardener comes along and he removes that extended growth which is useless. It's not going to be very helpful. The third way <coughs> that the, um, the gardener comes along, he not only pinches with his fingers and tips, he uses a knife to snip off the long bits, but he also does another thing called thinning, which is where there's an overabundance of grapes all growing together and it's too thick, it's too clustered. And so he'll snip some off and remove it and just leave some hanging there. It's like on my rose bushes, we get not just one beautiful rose, sweet smelling and stuff, but we get six of them all together. Poof. And they're all together. And I need to prune them back, I suppose. I never do. I always prune them in here. And so that's nice. And Well, we've had them for six years and I haven't managed to kill them yet. But I do live in hope. If I do manage to kill them, then I will have to replace them because my, the rose is my wife's favourite plant. Pray for me and my burden that I bear. <laughs> Pinching, topping, thinning. That's the pruning process. The gardener will also come along and he will, as I said, if he looks at a plant and there is no fruit on it, if there is, it's just leaves, then he will snip that off because it's not only useless, it's wasteful. It's taking life and the sap out of the vine, out of the plant, and it's not producing anything. It needs to be removed. So to maximise growth and to get the grapes to be fully produced, the gardener, the father, needs to do something like that. So <clears throat> our Heavenly Father prunes our lives, pinches, chops off, declusters. It always hurts but it doesn't harm. It's always with the purpose of helping us to be far more productive. It happens every autumn and winter. It happens every year. It's continual. He never stops. And it's always with a view to helping us to mature and to grow and to be bare more fruit. What's involved in pruning when the Heavenly Father prunes us, when the gardener prunes the branch... Uh, pain, hurt, loss, heartache, suffering, afflictions. It's the removal of something. 
something which is distracting us, something which is not helping us be more like the Lord Jesus. It could be him closing the door on a career choice or an opportunity or something. It's restrictions of some sort so that we grow to be the person he wants us to be. And he does it because he loves us. Psalm 119, verse 67 and 71. But 67 says, Before I was afflicted, before I was afflicted, I used to go astray, but now I obey your word. So the order of that is, I have a tendency to go astray, to get involved in things I ought not, to be doing things I shouldn't be, to be not being the person God wants me to be. I used to go astray and so God afflicts me, God prunes me. And the result of that pruning, the result of that affliction is, now I obey your word. It's always our Heavenly Father loving us, caring for us. That's why James says, James 1 verse 2, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of any kind. Whenever you have difficulties, be joyful. Why? Because you know that this difficulty, this test is testing your faith. It's stretching you in order that you might become mature, that you might become the person. Now, the process itself is always painful and nobody enjoys that. And James is not saying, you know, enjoy the process. He's saying enjoy the result. Enjoy what's going to come out of this. Look forward to being more godly, more patient, more Christ-like. A couple of thoughts on this and then we'll move on to the main point of the passage. The Heavenly Father's hand is never as close, the gardener's hand is never as close to the branch as when he is pinching it, snipping it, declustering it. His hand is close. So in your life, when you're facing difficulties, he's never closer. He's the master surgeon. He's dealing with you delicately. may not seem like that to you, but he is. He's pruning the branch. It hurts, but doesn't harm. And the result is that usually when he prunes, what he's trying to leave is just the vine, just the person of Jesus in us. He'll remove that which is not like Jesus. That's what he'll deal with. Not all at once, just one thing at a time. Here's the refiner. Well, like I said, these are the minor aspects of the passage. Jesus being the vine and our life is in him. Our father is the gardener and he's going to prune us so that we can become more like the Lord Jesus. The main emphasis of this story that Jesus tells in this passage is about the branches. And there are two types. There are branches that don't bear fruit and there are branches that do bear fruit, just like in the parable of the soil. Let's have a look at, I guess, of the two branches. The one that bears fruit, I think we'll come back to that, but that's clearly a person who is close to Jesus, who is fruitful, who is a believer, genuine, fair income. Come back to that. Who are these other ones that don't bear fruit? Who is Jesus talking about? He's not talking about people out in the world who don't have anything to do with him. He's talking in verse 2 about he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. This is a branch that somehow is, in, is connected to the vine, but it's fruitless. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And if you go down to verse 6, he says, if you do not remain in me, so you're in me, if you don't remain in me, 
You'll be like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. What does that mean? Well, if you look at the context of John's gospel and the way that he is telling uh, these truths, then you'll discover that the context is that Jesus has been in the upper room, that he's talking now to the 11 disciples, and that in the upper room, Judas was present but has left. These 11 clearly loved the Lord Jesus, but Judas didn't. Judas plus the 11 was with Jesus. He had been set out on missions. He had been spent as much time with Jesus as the other ones did, but there was a difference. They were fair income. They sincerely loved and followed Jesus. Judas didn't. Judas followed Jesus superficially. He followed him in name only. It wasn't heartfelt, deep or life-transforming. He actually walked away from Jesus and ends up betraying him while the, the others stay the course. And so I think that's what Jesus has in mind, that there are two types of disciples. There are those who profess faith in him and some of those are real and some of those are false. And it's going to be hard sometimes for us to tell the difference, but he can tell the difference. And the real question is really, us telling the difference, am I real or am I just pretending? Judas was a person who professed faith but doesn't appear to have had any fruit. And James says, faith without works is what? Dead. It's not real. So he walks away from the Lord Jesus. Two types of disciples. Which one are you? That's the question. If we look at it in terms of what is the fruit that I need to be bearing, we all need to conduct this sort of examination of am I real or am I just saying the words? If it's real, then the fruit that will come out in your life is going to be one of... um, Well, there are lots of different answers... John the Baptist calls it fruits of repentance. There's some sort of change in your life. Uh, The Apostle Paul calls it good works. You'll be doing good things. The prophets call it righteousness and justice. But I think ultimately what Jesus means, what John means, is that the life of the vine, the sap in the vine, the life in the vine will be transferred to the branches and will produce fruit. So it's the life of Jesus being manifest in the life of the Christian and bearing fruit. And that certainly at least includes the spirit of Jesus in the Christian bearing the fruit of the spirit, the characteristics of Jesus, that we will be coming more and more like Jesus, not instantly, not perfectly, it's a journey, but that's what will be happening. The people who say they believe, but it's not real, that doesn't happen, this transformation of character. They still remain like their old character. But for those of us who are real, who are sincere, there will be a change. Like I said, not perfectly, not instantly, but there will be a change. 
you'll become more like the Lord Jesus. And that process will go on through all of your life. So the question is, which one are you? This is not a question that you can look at somebody else and say, uh, they're not real. No, it's not for that. It's for you. Am I real? Am I in the vine? Have I sincerely accepted Jesus? Am I bearing fruit? Well, if we ask the question, well, how do I get this life in Jesus? How do I get connected with the vine? How does that happen? Well, it's pretty easy. Most of you, if not all of you, will know it, but I'm going to say it just in case there are some here tonight who are not sure. It begins by being, firstly, just flat-out honest, real. To honestly admit... Everybody says they're not perfect, so it's not to admit that. It's to sincerely be aware and to honestly admit to God that you have sinned, that you've crossed the line, that you've failed, that you are guilty, that you have offended him, that you haven't obeyed his commandments, whichever words are appropriate for you, uh, that you're in trouble, you fall below the standard, you fail the test. Honestly admit that to God. Lord, I've sinned. And then... Please forgive me. Be merciful to me. Like the guy in the temple who simply says to God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's real. It's sincere. It's not saying the words. It's not putting on a front. It's heartfelt. And then if you say those words sincerely, and you have said those words, then it's also then just accepting what he does. He says that if you say that, then I will. You take him at his word. He says he'll forgive us, that he will enter our life, that it will be connected with him. The branch will be linked to the vine. His life will be then flowing into our life. His spirit will enter our life. He becomes part of us somehow. How do you explain this? It's a spiritual truth. And the process of doing that he is Lord. He gets the reins of my life. I now submit to him and I follow what he says. That's what it means and that's how you get connected. It's very easy. But you see, the wrestle is people don't want to do that. People want to do their own thing. I don't want somebody else telling me what to do. And I shouldn't use this illustration, but that is most clearly manifest for me in my fallenness, in my sinfulness, when I am driving. That's where I fail, often. Because there are so many idiots on the road. They don't know how good a driver I am. And they do ridiculous things. And what I find is I have a very short patient span with other drivers. It is a week. I talk about it all the time. And you have no idea how much a better driver I am because I talk about it like this. I'm so conscious of it because I am so fearful that one day I am going to talk to somebody from Sunnybank who's done something wrong and they're going to say, uh-oh. I'm so conscious of it. And I fail so often. Well, it's that level of, you know, honesty with God, not pretending. And that's what he looks for. And if you come at that level, he says, if you seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. 
I'm not looking for people who are impressive. I'm looking for people who are honest. We're all broken. We all know that. So God just wants, which ones of you are prepared to admit it? If you'll admit it, then I can help. You want to keep pretending? You're on your own. And the Lord Jesus says wonderfully, those who come to me, I'll never cast away. So I know that when I pass from this earth, I know that I'm going to heaven. Why? Because I'm good? (laughs) Absolutely not. Because I believe him. He said, if I am gut level honest with him, Lord, I've failed, I've messed up, and I keep doing it, please forgive me. He says he will. And because he said he will, I'll be in heaven. And I can say it like this. If I'm not in heaven, if I'm in the other place, hell, then he is a liar. It's as clear as that. He said, if I ask to be forgiven, I'll be forgiven. I've asked. And I meant it. And I know in my own spirit and heart that he's forgiven me. So I know on the basis, not of me and my goodness, but on the basis of his promise and of his word that I'll be there because he is true to his word. He cannot break it. So that's how you get this connection with the Lord Jesus. So my question to you is, are you connected to the Lord Jesus? You ever done that? You ever come to a point in your life where you have been blunt level honest with him and realise that you've messed up, that you've fallen short, Realised you need his forgiveness. Have you asked him for it? I said to my grandfather who had cancer, and I wasn't yet a Christian, but I was on the way, and I remember saying to him in a hospital bed, do you believe in Jesus? To which he said to me, yes, I do. And to this day, 30 plus, 40 plus years later, I hope that's enough for him. Just saying, I believe in Jesus. Do you believe? If you don't believe, you're going to be cut off, you're going to be thrown away, you're going to be gathered up, you're going to be burned. You're going to perish. That's what this passage reminds us of. Don't place your security and hope in finances or in education or career or in being popular or in relationships or all the good things and entertainments of this world. They're all great and they're there to be enjoyed. But don't place your hope in them. Place your hope in Jesus. You can lose your job. Your finances can fail. Relationships can break. But he's always there. Trust in him. Well, if, what about if you have? If you have done that, if you have connected to the Lord Jesus, then are you bearing forth fruit in your life? That sometimes can be difficult to self-examine, can't it? Well, how do I remain connected? Well, he says in this passage... That if we remain in him and his word remains in us, reading the Bible, that we'll communicate with him in prayer. He in fact says in verse 7 that we can ask whatever we wish and it'll be done for you. So prayer will be empowered. Come back to that in a moment. There'll also be a sense of his presence and also a sense of an experience of obedience. We'll keep his commands. If we do that, you'll have this inner peace, this inner joy. You'll have this awareness that you are connected to Jesus. Is that your experience? Are you doing those things? And if not, then perhaps 
you need to talk to somebody and pray with them. This passage certainly outlines for us what the Lord Jesus wants for his branches. What does he want those people who are linked with him, who are bearing fruit, verse 5 and following. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. That's what he wants, more fruit. He wants us to grow. He wants us to become more spirit-filled, more like him, more fruit of the spirit. It never ceases to amaze me. This is a question I cannot answer and I've been asking it I've been thinking about it for 20 years. Why is it? Now, I don't mean to be, I'm not trying to be critical or attacking, but why is it that for many people who have been following Jesus for 20 or more years, long time, 30, 40 years, that they are not more gracious, not more like the Lord Jesus? Why is that? What is it? And I'm now getting into that bracket. And am I more like the Lord Jesus than I was 20 or 30 years ago? Well, I think I am. But I don't want to stop. I've got to keep going. And something stops us as we age. And that's certainly not his desire. His desire is for us to go on. And you might very well know people who are exactly like that, that the older they become, the more like Jesus they become. They're the ones to follow. They're the ones who are doing something right. What does Jesus want for those who are his true branches? He wants us to remain in him, closely connected with him, to grow to be more like him. He wants us, in verse 7, to have an empowered prayer life, to be talking to him. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, so we are reading the Bible, his words, and we are obeying them, Then he says, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Got to read that in the context. So in the context of being obedient, in verse 16, asking whatever you you ask, it's in his name. So it's not you coming to God with your wish list just, you know, it's like, I would like a Mercedes Benz. I would like um, an apartment, a three-bedroom, four-bedroom apartment, on the Brisbane River in the city. That would be really nice. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Whatever I wish. Well, am I being obedient? Am I praying in his name? But having said that, I certainly do encourage you, if that's what you wish, if that's what you really want, then you ask him. And then he'll respond to you. He is a loving Heavenly Father. He will respond to you and say, Yep, you can have that, or no, you're not getting that, or you're being selfish, you're being childish, you're being distracted, or whatever. He'll talk to you about it. But he certainly wants you to be talking to him. And Jesus talks in this passage, he wants the vine, the branches in the vine, to be having a, an empowered conversation with him, an empowered prayer life. He wants them, verse 9, to remain in his love, and he also tells us how to do that. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. He wants us to be obedient. So again, do a, an obedience check. Am I doing exactly what Jesus commands me to do? That's easy. Then he says, verse um, 11, if you do obey his commands, then we'll become like his friends, we'll be close to him and we'll experience his joy in our hearts. It's an interesting transition. 
connected with Jesus, empowered conversations with him, obeying what he commands us to do, and in doing that, we in fact become friends with him. We come into this intimate relationship, closeness with him, where we experience his joy, his inner sense of peace and calm. And then he says to finish it off, and this is my command, love one another. That's what I want you to do. Be connected with me, talk with me, obey my commands. And this is what I want you to do, love other people. Two things. Let me finish with these two things. It's like a triangle. And Jesus is at the top. And you as a follower of Jesus in one corner, and other people are in this corner, other followers of Jesus, other Christians. And it's as you become closer to Jesus and they become closer to Jesus that you actually become closer to each other. That's what Jesus is saying. Be close to me and loving each other. That's what he wants. This community, this connectedness. Connected with him, connected with one another. What happens if there are people who say they follow Jesus and, they, and you draw close to Jesus but they don't? Well, in this passage, they're the ones who are not bearing the fruit and the likeness of Jesus. They're the ones that run the risk of the Father snipping off and removing so the question for you is, which one are you? Drawing closer to Jesus or just pretending? Just turning up for church? Just going through the motions, pretending, but not real? Well, Jesus is warning you. That's a dangerous pretense. Last thing. 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 says that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully devoted to him, for the people who are coming close to him, looking for those whose hearts are fully devoted to him, that he may strengthen them. It's a wonderful promise. God is looking for people who are devoted to following Jesus, that he might strengthen them. That's what the Father wants to do in our lives. Let me pray for you. <clears throat> Father, thank you. Certainly that you are real and that you are present, that Jesus came into our world and that we have this amazing analogy that Jesus is the vine and that we are the branches, and that you want us closely connected with him, bearing fruit, becoming more like him, and that you warn us that if we are not bearing fruit, then we can experience removal. But if we are bearing fruit, then we can certainly expect your pruning which is painful, but for the result that we become might even become even more like Jesus. Father, may your will be real and done in each of our lives as we seek to love and follow the Lord Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen.